Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. Today, we're going to talk about how you can make a difference each and every month through subscription donations and creative partnerships. But before we get there, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, caremorebebetter.com. You can sign up for our newsletter to be the first to gain access to new episodes and easily browse past shows on topics that matter most to you. You'll find full transcripts, suggestions for actions you can take to make a difference, and if you're so inclined, you could even make a donation to support the show. You can even join us each week on Clubhouse for live connections. It's Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific each week. Just follow me on Clubhouse at Care More Be Better. Have you made giving a habit? Have you built a pay-it-forward perspective into your day-to-day? To talk about the perspective of giving, I'm joined by Joel Pollack, founder and CEO of Percent Pledge. Joel grew up in the world of philanthropy as his father, Mark Pollack, built the Giving Back Fund back in 1997. In a way, as an homage to his childhood experience, Joel Pennick founded Percent Pledge to provide a better and easier way for people to give back through the power of subscription giving. Percent Pledge creates social impact programs that are customizable and affordable for businesses of any size. Joel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here and nerd out with you on uh, this topic of social impact that I think we're both quite interested in. Yeah. Now, I'd love for you to share a bit about your personal story. What motivated you to start Percent Pledge? It was originally, uh, frankly, a personal need. Um, I, I, as you mentioned, grew up in and around philanthropy and social impact, given the work that uh, my dad did. And it was also just a part of our kind of life as a family. We, we donated 10% of, of our money each year. And um, when I was growing up, I candidly was was not, my brother and I were not the two family members voting uh, to keep that initiative going. Um, but we grew up and realized the wide world beyond ourselves. Um, and I found myself, once I had graduated college, started my professional career, living, working in Chicago as a um, B2B strategy consultant. So I was helping businesses in various different industries with, you know, marketing around new products, go to market strategies, due diligence for acquisitions, things like that. And I was making good money and doing nothing in the way of giving. And I wanted to, I wanted to change that. Um, and, and I went to my firm, it was pretty small. Um, there was nothing formal or established in place in the term in terms of a social impact program. Uh, so I thought, all right, well, I can at least start this individually just outside of work. And the initial kind of aha moment for Percent Pledge was, was thinking back to, I guess, sort of a, a combination of the past and present. So in the past, um, I, that notion of giving some percent of our income, our family gave 10% each year, had stuck with me. And, and so that made sense to me. And then in the present, I 
was a young professional millennial that had subscriptions for literally everything in my life. Um, and so I thought, why, why not create a subscription for giving? And so I had the initial idea. I remember, I'll remember the conversation probably until the end of time when I was walking back to the blue line um, in the loop in Chicago to go home one night. And I had called my dad, which was both calling him for the normal weekly check-in just to see, hello, how, how are things going? And also I had asked him about this idea because I candidly thought that it already exists, that it already was in the world. So I, I told him, hey, I'm looking for to, to set up sort of a subscription for giving. Can you point me towards a couple of platforms, websites, what have you? And when I explained what I wanted to do, he said, I don't know anything like that, um, which at first disappointed me a little bit, but, but it also uh, excited me. And so I, I then rushed home and just did a ton of research to see if he was correct. And there was, in fact, nothing like this out there. So we then embarked on, uh, on going about to, to bring it to life. Wow. So I'd like to know a little bit about how long it took you to get this effort off the ground from that moment of ideation when you're walking around the loop in Chicago. It was about a year or so. So I worked on Percent Pledge just on my nights and weekends. And um, I was still working full time at my at the consulting firm I was at. And I had, as I mentioned, you explained the idea to my dad, I had shared it with a few other people and two mentors in Chicago that were quite important throughout this process. The first of which was um, an individual named Mark Ackler. He runs a uh, he's a professor at Northwestern, also runs a, a venture capital firm in Chicago. And the second was an individual named Neil Sales Griffin, who uh, just actually had a mayoral run in Chicago a year or two ago. And now he's been a serial entrepreneur, uh, coincidentally, also a um, professor at Northwestern. And I met them both through 1871. And those were the two other individuals beyond my family and like maybe close friends or my girlfriend, Emily, that I'd shared this idea with. Mark was incredibly valuable in essentially making me infinitely smarter about how to figure out if there was a there there of kind of mm -hmm. figuring, validating whether this idea had legs, what it would turn into. And, and Neil, similarly to that in many regards, but also with, with Neil, he, um, introduced me to, he has a, a background in technology and introduced me to individuals that I ended up working together with to bring the initial iteration and percent pledge to life because I'm not a technical founder. I've become somewhat fluent now, but um, at the time, our original team was myself, Colleen, who was a friend of mine who does graphic design, who she was working at a um, UX UI firm in Chicago at the time. And then two individuals, um, a front-end engineer and a back-end engineer that Neil introduced me to, who um, we kind of put this patchwork team together and spent four months building the original V1 of Percent Pledge uh, as, as a side project together. Wow, that's really great. So if you were to go ahead and share a little bit about your first client and who that was, perhaps, if you're even able to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And the, I guess the, the distinction there I would draw is whether 
we're talking user as a client or or business as a client? Because when I mentioned that it was about a year or so from idea to launching the first iteration of Percent Pledge, Percent Pledge was in its initial form um, a B2C platform. So our, our initial thinking was that this would just be for individuals. And we pivoted to focus on what we do now, which is, which is a focus on serving businesses, but still... At the end of the day, the employees, the individuals are the ones that leverage our technology and services. But um, the first individual who used our platform was, was in January, the right, the, I think maybe the first day of 2018. Um, and then it was Q3 of 2018 when we had kind of pivoted things. And our first business customer was, I believe, Yellow in um Chicago. They're uh, an, an HR tech company. They have about 300 or so employees. And we, I can't remember how I was connected in there. It was not a cold call situation. I think I had done a lot of LinkedIn stalking and found someone that um, was connected to me that had a connection to Yellow. And we, um, I got a meeting with their team and, and spoke with, um, with the two members of their people team on uh, on what we were doing and and explaining, hey, how we had built out this this solution to make it possible for businesses of any size to power social impact programs, and would they want to um, for free be sort of one of our first beta customers and and introduce this technology to their employees and um, help make giving a habit, you know, as a company. Yeah, this is something you speak to on your website, as well as in our earlier conversations, making giving a habit. I think you mentioned that also as we were getting started with the whole perspective of giving 10% of every paycheck to a not-for-profit or a charity that mattered to you and your family. So let's talk a little bit about instilling this habit. And I would also like to understand a little bit more about what changed when you went from being a consumer-facing B2C type of effort to now one that is more connected with businesses to help them build these corporate social responsibility programs that can really engage their employees. So let's learn a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll maybe take those in reverse or, or uh, I'll blend them together. And in terms of what changed, it wasn't any sort of business structure or anything major, our, our technology changed. It just evolved because we needed it to be a little bit different if it was a platform that any individual would just access off the street versus if it was something for, for businesses. And, and then additionally, just a, a shift in our focus. It was, I said pivot and, and it is correct, um, but it in terms of how we thought about it, it it wasn't necessarily a completely different approach. It was just kind of moving up the value chain. We we said, okay, if we're seeing now in these early months that this technology we built is is valuable and and it's helping people to support the causes or charities they're most passionate about and do so on on an ongoing basis, then what if we went to businesses and instead of trying to get you know, individuals off the street one by one, because our initial thinking was, okay, we, we can go viral, which is a prayer and not mm-hmm. a plan. Or if we had, it'd be great if I had a million dollars and I could have done just tons of Facebook ads, but it was me funding everything from my consulting bonuses at the time. And so we said, all right, well, how are we going to monetize this to make money off that, to make it sustainable? 
And so we said, all right, let's move up the value chain instead of trying to get individuals one by one off the street, let's try and work with businesses and see if there's a value add we can provide to them. And then if we get a business, we can introduce this technology and service to hundreds, thousands of employees at once. Um, and that was the initial hypothesis and, and thinking that, you know, we've confirmed over time and, and expanded upon. So, so that was the shift in, I guess it would just be a shift in focus and kind mm -hmm. of move, moving up the value chain. Cause we, I, I guess, are in a sense, a, a B to B to C company now, you know, we're, we're ultimately still helping that end user, that donor, but the way that percent pledges delivered to them is now mainly through their employer, as opposed to if they would have seen a Facebook ad, had those existed ever. And then the other piece to your question around kind of that notion of, of making, giving a habit, and I, I suppose how that focus had evolved, it, it was really for me, a practice of common sense more, more than anything. You know, when we were getting going, given what I had known growing up in the space, as well as far too much uh, additional research that I had just done on my own to educate myself about this space, uh, about what philanthropy looked like, what corporate social responsibility looked like, what giving back and donating looked like in today's world. And especially with different types of donors, whether it was breaking down by age, by geography, by generation. And there was also some research at the time that some scientists had done a study and essentially proved a, a neural link between giving and happiness. And so the, the thinking in our mind was, all right, well, if we can get people to make it easy for them to donate on an ongoing basis, as opposed to one time, and we had done some early research and asking folks, we kept hearing, oh, I give back when my buddy's running a marathon or God forbid, we have a, I have a family member that, you know, that gets, that falls ill or these sort of situational, conditional, one-off kind of ad hoc moments. What if we could inspire people to, in essence, change their behavior and, and make giving a part of their everyday a habit as opposed to something that is more reactive could we help them make it more proactive? And we knew that that was a challenge because it is inherently a behavior change, but we looked around and said, okay, subscriptions are, as I mentioned at the beginning, part of most people's lives now. So that model, that subscription model, which in the giving philanthropy world is known as recurring giving, we didn't inherently reinvent that. We no, just it was recurring it. payments, basically, right? Exactly. So we we just made that piece um, a bit more simple and streamlined, and we added some curation and vetting at, at the top there. And then, so we said, all right, people are used to subscriptions. And then on the other hand, we have not only this recent scientific data, but also others pointing to just how good it makes people feel when they do give back, how it does increase happiness. And we said, all right, well, if people are happier when they give back, let's see if we can make giving back a part of their everyday life and maybe thus let's make them continually happier. Mm -hmm. um, so that was our thinking behind that model is that it's frankly better for the individual. It makes philanthropy and giving a part of their everyday life that is more proactive and strategic as opposed to being reactive and just waiting to give when your buddy runs a marathon. It's better for now the companies we serve because they're 
impact snowballs their employees engagement and thus happiness with their social impact programs and their experience at the company as a whole evolves and expands. And then for the nonprofits as well, probably the most important group here, that was already the most coveted type of philanthropy. You know, when, when we were speaking initially to, to the nonprofits, so many of them already had monthly recurring programs in place. And so, you know, if you talk to any nonprofit now, as I'm sure you, you know quite a few, if you ask them what type of dollar they covet most, aside from maybe a blank check from a large donor, a recurring donation is the type that they want. So they can, it's like any other business, nonprofits, you know, need revenue too. And so if they can get recurring revenue that allows them to plan better and be more thoughtful about their growth, then it's better for everyone. Yeah, I completely agree. It's obvious that when you have a recurring subscription, you have an engaged you have you have an engaged audience too, right? Like they are involved in your success. They're more likely to be looking at what you're doing or even considering modifying who they're donating to. So I'd like to know a little bit more about the user aspect of this because Right now, as it stands, um, you're working through a company to go ahead and set up for a few hundred employees, maybe even a few thousand. But what does it look like to them? Like, are they able to change the charities they're contributing to on a fly? Is it a particular set of vetted charities that they're able to donate to that are selected by the company? How does that really work? Yeah, so I think the important piece as a baseline is the initial technology made it easy for someone to customize a subscription for giving and donate some X percent that they inputted of their monthly take home, a percent pledge to causes or charities they were passionate about. We would then took some three minutes to make the pledge. We then automate their monthly donations, archive their tax receipts and send them ongoing impact reports each month so that they have their giving stats as well as stories on okay, how, where's this money going? How is it being put to work? How is it creating an impact? And the user experience today is, is largely similar, um, but it's evolved as you can imagine. So we now have one-time donations as well as matching donations on the platform. So it isn't um, even though the subscription for giving idea is still the majority of what our community does, um, there is other customization so that people can truly make their giving whatever they want it. And additionally, um, you asked about, which is useful to this answer and what you mentioned as well about kind of how things have changed or evolved over time is initially we had our, um, uh, our cause portfolios, which are essentially uh, mutual funds for charitable giving. So the initial concept behind those was some research that we had done as well as seeing our focus and, and even remains there was largely on millennial donors, millennial employees. They're now the majority generation in the workforce. Um, they tend to view philanthropy through the cause lens as opposed to specific organizations. And so what that means in plain English is, you know, if you ask a millennial, hey, what do you care about? What do you support? What do you donate to? They'll are more likely to tell you the environment or veterans or healthcare, as opposed to, um, you know, the World Wildlife Fund or Team Rubicon or specific nonprofit. And a lot of that is just because they haven't 
really developed, you know, their philanthropic identity and kind of become a philanthropist yet because they're getting going with their career. But a lot of it is just a, how they think about giving. And so we said, all right, let's build this technology in a way that aligns to how our user is thinking about this thing that they would be using our technology to do. And we built out these, these cost portfolios. So initially it was just us going out and doing a ton of research and vetting of the, there's a list of about 300 or so nonprofits we put together based on uh, the six top cause areas that from a bunch of research that we had got back that were the most popular and our initial technology just allowed people to donate to those six cause portfolios. So each of them had about three to four, maybe five pre-vetted nonprofits within them that were all focused on that same issue area, like education or veterans or healthcare, but not overlapping organizations. So they were all top rated, but unique and complementary. because if we're building a portfolio, we want to you know, curate it responsibly and not just have five animal shelters in the animal one that are all pretty much doing the same thing. So, so we did that work and, and the way, the main way that the technology has evolved, which gets that user experience piece is, is we then built out a database of every charity in the U S with the IRS data. So it's um, 2 million, 2 million plus organizations and introduced our, our BYOP version, uh, our build your own portfolio option, um, as well as then introduced custom company portfolios. And so now an employee who goes on or actually, frankly, even we still allow individuals to, to sign up. So now whether you're an individual or employee, when you're going on that user experience is selecting your causes initially. So whether that is some of our pre-vetted cause portfolios, and we have many of them now. We just, for this month, we recently uh, introduced our LGBTQ plus portfolio. We had an AAPI portfolio that was focused and part of a lot of matching campaigns in May. So employees get to come on, pick their causes, whether that's one or many, they could pick the company's cause. So for each company, we customize a portfolio with their nonprofit partners. And, and then as well, they can pick any charities they want. And so all three of those options are kind of covering all the bases in terms of here's the curated version with our core portfolios that's sort of us serving as philanthropic advisor. The build your own option is the bring your own charities, whatever, if you're already supporting organizations, then you're using the platform as a one-stop shop to just consolidate your giving or with the company portfolio, having organizations like you can imagine a financial tech company that focuses on partnering with financial literacy nonprofits. So maybe those nonprofits are featured in that company portfolio. And they're all mutually exclusive options. A lot of people will donate to two cause portfolios as well as one specific charity that they search the database for. Then they get to pick whether they want to make it a a monthly ongoing subscription for giving, or they just want to do a one-time gift and then select their amounts. So how much they want to donate to each of these portfolios and just truly customize their philanthropy, their, their giving. And it takes them now, it took them before about three minutes to sign up in the whole process. Now, if people are giving one time, it takes employees about a minute or so. And if they want to 
uh, customize a monthly subscription for giving still takes them about three minutes or so. So really, this all sounds like you've borrowed quite a bit from financial technology, <laughs> you know, almost like building mutual funds or customized portfolios. I'm reminded of my own experience, you know, building my E-Trade account, as a for example. So I'm curious to know how um, or if you've been able to identify how much incremental giving your company has been responsible for enabling, like perhaps by looking at what a user's prior typical donations were over the course of the year versus what they were after, so that we could really connect with the impact that your organization is already having? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't, would you be able to, expl I don't know if I understand fully um, in terms of the incremental impact, um, or maybe I guess to help explain, we don't necessarily have data on people's giving before they started using our system. Uh, okay. but I was thinking more from like that perspective where you mentioned that marathon, you know, runner like was raising funds. And so their friends might donate $50 or $100 as an ad hoc donation. So if you had any sort of data about the ad hoc donation versus the programmatic donation perspective and how much more people were ultimately giving as a result of being a part of your program. And I know that would be hard to capture. So I just, I don't know if you have an idea there. Yeah, we so we don't have specifics there because the the research we did early on was obviously not obviously, but it was at the general level. So it was asking about 500 or so individuals to explain their current giving habits. So we were able to see across that, okay, there were these trends that when asked, when asked, when how do you give back? Everyone said situationally ad hoc. How many individual donations did you make throughout the year? Typically one to four to six. Um, so comparing those general pieces, we can have we can, you know, uh piece together some of that picture. And so for example, you know, the the kind of average giving um uh that was researched on a couple of years ago for an individual, just a typical employee, young professional, was I believe something like three hundred dollars per year. And our average monthly donations are um, about $60 a month across our entire community. And so in that way, you're seeing an incremental value there of what are we multiplying about five. So going from 300 to 500 per year. And then additionally, our one-time donations, our average across our community is about $150 or so per one-time donation. So we have not done that analysis to compare that general data across kind of the patterns that we're seeing. Um, for us, it's about, are we seeing folks continue to engage with our technology and use our service on an ongoing basis? And that piece has been the one that uh, we've just been incredibly grateful for and, and has been awesome over time is, is for for our recurring donors, our subscription givers or pledgers, which is the, the majority still of our community, we have a 95% ongoing monthly retention. And, and that's the piece that, again, to our conversation earlier, we didn't, um, we didn't invent recurring giving. We just made it a little bit simpler, easier, more curated. And then the, the piece that we, that we did invent and, and kind of the innovation related there is our pledge reports, our impact reports that each individual donor gets each month, which has been the driving force behind that incredible retention and why people just keep giving is transparency is 
is king. Like folks want to see, hey, if I'm making a donation, if I'm helping an organization or multiple organizations further their mission, I want to have an idea of, uh, you know, I'm now inherently a part of that. And I want to know how they are furthering their mission. Um, and so being able to provide that transparency back to our donors, our users on an ongoing basis has um, was one of the kind of initial hypotheses that we lucked out on that was really correct was let's put a real big focus on transparency here and kind of try and create this impact feedback loop and that have it be like any other subscription where in the past recurring giving wasn't really like other subscriptions because people were asking, nonprofits were asking folks to donate on an ongoing basis, but they either wouldn't talk to them at all. We kept running into this um, and trying to get zombie donations. So it's nonprofit saying, hey, let's not remind those folks that they're giving each month because if we remind them, they might stop doing it. Or on the flip <laughs> side, it was organizations that would over communicate with their recurring donors, but over communicate with them in a not very thoughtful way of just sending them more calls to action to donate, which doesn't make sense because if you have a recurring donor, you've you've won the battle. You know, you a subscription customer is what you're going for. And so with our our pledge reports really wanted those to be a, a practice of gratitude more than anything. It's not us sending them more calls to action. It's us providing them transparency into this giving habit that they've created and trying to be really thoughtful about, you know, let's make this like any other subscription where if you're donating, you get something for you in return on an ongoing basis and that that would make people want to keep doing it. Yeah, I think you've brought up a couple of things that I really resonate with so far. And so one thing is that you are essentially operating as a gateway as well. You're helping people to connect with the charities they might want to. But I imagine they're also not then receiving the buckets of junk mail that they might receive if they were developing a direct relationship with some of those companies, because it's kind of buried in or hedged into another company's support. Would that be correct? On the user side or the nonprofit side? On the user side, yes. Yeah, so the um, the same way that we're doing some of that curation on the front end with those cons portfolios. It, it does trickle over, or I guess maybe kind of copy itself over into the back end in that our donors are not receiving five, six, seven communications from the three, four, five different organizations that they're supporting each month. They're receiving one um, pledge report from us that has impact stories from all of those organizations. And that's one of the main ways that we partner with the nonprofits is you asked about kind of how our structure had evolved over time. When we were thinking about how to monetize things, we, we went the business route because we didn't want to charge nonprofits like some other giving platforms do. It, it just, it seemed silly to charge the nonprofits to then be driving donations right back towards them. So the partnership that we have in place with them is, hey, we're going to drive more awareness and recurring dollars towards you and your mission. And in return, you provide us transparency and updates, the same that you would normally provide so that we can bring that curated experience and kind of situation report each month back to our donors so they can have a short, succinct idea of how their giving habit is 
making a positive impact. Yeah. And I think from the user perspective, not being annoyed by a bunch of paper junk mail or uh, a slew of emails, many of which may not actually be relevant to what they're concerned about, I think is actually an added bonus and feature. I am thinking of my one-time donation to the Nature Conservancy. I very much resonate with their mission. I did not resonate with the fact that I received probably 15 pieces of them over the course of six months as a result. So I think that there are some things that uh, these not-for-profits can learn from the success of your platform as well. One of the questions I have actually comes back to how you vet them and the cross-communication. Because obviously, you need to be absorbing information from them about the impact of the dollars that you're raising on behalf of these users and the companies that may be funding or matching the contributions of their employee. So can we learn a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So from a vetting perspective, I think the other important piece to consider here is um, for the, the organizations, when I explain our vetting criteria, this is for the organizations in our cause portfolios or in the company portfolios. Um, with that database that we had built out, we have not taken... 2 million organizations, every nonprofit in the U.S. through this extensive vetting process. Um, but obviously, we want to provide ultimate choice back to donors and uh, which organizations they support. And so we typically will start with, frankly, a lot of desk research. It's looking at existing evidence-based charity evaluators, whether that's GiveWell, GuideStar, Charity Navigator, great nonprofits, give directly. There's many more um, that we figure let's not reinvent the wheel. If, if there's already been really thoughtful work done by others, then let's leverage that to get a, a good kind of baseline understanding about the organization. And then we look at their board and staff. Is it diverse and representative of the cause, the community that they're serving, as well as how transparent they are with the work that they're doing. So part of that is looking at their financials, 990s to say, okay, is the, if they say this many dollars are, is going towards programs and these are the programs that's going to, their financial form should reflect that as well, should tell that same story. And then as well, um, to the average donor, to the public, what is the sort of transparency that they're providing back? So in some cases, like One Tree Planet, who's a partner of ours in our environmental portfolio, for them, they do a quite good job at this. And it's quite literal. They can show for every dollar how many trees are planted. And for other organizations, it's not a direct one-to-one -one because their work or programs could just be inherently different than that, than planting mm -hmm. trees. Um, so for that, we say, okay, what are you showing in terms of evidence back to the public in a way that's appropriate for you? So given your programs and your mission and the outcomes that you're trying to drive, are you accurately and consistently showing those outcomes and doing so in a way that's commensurate with 2021? Um, and so that's how are they leveraging digital media, whether it's social media, um, tracking tools, technology, is this organization living in, in this realm and, and using what's available to them to keep improving there. And then additionally, which is a bit more of a subjective one, is we look a lot at how is this organization unique or think about it, how are they a one of one? Um, it, whether that is 
In some cases, that's through technology. In others, that's through model or partnership. What makes this organization stand out in the, the field, the cause area, whether that's, you know, maybe, again, veterans or the environment or healthcare, what makes them unique and stand out that would, um, that would be something that we want to highlight to our donors, you know, to show them, hey, this organization is transparent about what they're doing. They have top marks from all of the evidence-based charity evaluators and the work that they're doing in their mission is truly unique and innovative in these ways. That's really great. You know, one of the things you mentioned in that last set is really leveraging technology. Now, in the last year, in 2020 into 2021, we've all had to leverage technology in a unique and new way because of COVID. So I wonder if there are any changes that you implemented specifically because of that. And if so, if they're sticking long term or if you'll be reverting back. That's a great question. And I'm just trying to think through of any kind of new changes. And and quite honestly, we, we didn't change much. Um, we, we grew quite a bit. Um, which we are incredibly grateful for. And it was also a, a very surreal experience during a global pandemic when everyone was like, what on earth is happening here to be going through kind of a good period? Because we, before COVID, were, were largely um, an, a native remote company as is. I think we're going to continue that. So that maybe is one change where we were thinking we were founded in Chicago. I'm, for instance, I live in New York now. We have team members in um, on the West Coast as well. And we still have most of our team members in Chicago or the Midwest. But we were thinking about whether we you know, would get an office. And as we continue to grow, have kind of a main HQ and be trying to hire in that one market. Whereas what we're learning now is, is we like and can operate effectively being fully remote. I think we're going to keep that focus moving forward. And then from a business operations perspective, we got lucky with this prize. Many other software companies that are, are mainly software focused companies in that we were already kind of for social impact and for corporate social responsibility programs for businesses, the remote friendly option of doing things. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of companies, that's really what brought about so much of that growth is so many companies were doing like what we call their DIY CSR or having some kind of pretty manual, heavy giving program, workplace philanthropy um, initiative in place that when COVID hit, that inherently kind of wiped it off the board. And so working with an organization like ours that could provide them a remote friendly option to help their employees be able to keep giving back to whatever they cared about through work. And maybe the the last difference there uh, was on the volunteering front. We in addition to the giving platform, we, we custom configure pledge portals, um, the SaaS offering for every business we work with. We also have a volunteer module on there and then a set of volunteer services that we provide for probably now a majority of our clients where our team of philanthropy experts just essentially does the heavy lifting related to organizing team volunteer projects. And in COVID, everything went from, I think we had maybe 10 or 12 in-person projects that in the course of one week, all just got completely wiped off the board as they should have been. They were all scheduled for like April, 2020. And so when cities and states started to kind of shut down and do stay at home orders, 
um, in-person volunteering went to the wayside as it should have, um, and virtual volunteering really took a step up. And so that's something that for the past 15, 16 months, all of our volunteer programs and volunteer projects we, we put together for our clients have been virtual and that's worked out incredibly well. And that's actually, I think, something that will continue moving forward to your question about what will remain um, even after we move past COVID. That's one item that that certainly will. And mainly because of the, the value it's providing to the companies and that so many of our customers are, are like us, going to stay pretty heavily distributed moving forward. And so virtual volunteering um, there still is a place and we're getting back to in-person, but virtual volunteering is just really great at connecting distributed employees to each other. And then thus uh, as well to the communities that, you know, the company wants to serve and support. Well, I just feel like I've learned so much about your company and the great ways that you're impacting the environments you serve, the companies you're serving and the not-for-profit safe space, as well as, of course, your client companies. So that's really just um, wonderful. Now, what is your next goalpost? Where are you hoping to get from here? That's a great question for for us. Um, and I think you might, uh, a teammate of mine sent a podcast that Simon Sinek was on and I don't know if you're familiar with, I'm sure you know the name, but um, Barry. <laughs> he, yes. he was talking about, it was his recent book and he was talking about the, the kind of difference between the why and the vision. So that, you know, the why is the thing that kind of, you know, gets you up in the morning. And, and for us, it was this premise of, okay, corporate social responsibility, social impact, workplace philanthropy, whatever you want to call it is should be optimal for every major stakeholder, for the employee, for the company, and for the nonprofit, in that when we walked into this market, it that's wasn't the way that it worked. And so our why is is how can we continually make that optimal for every every one of these major stakeholder groups? And our vision is that that every business in America has a social impact program. Um, so and as he was describing it, it's inherently somewhat unattainable. Um, I don't think we're going to be powering a social impact program for every single business in, in the country. That would be terrific if we did. So hopefully we have a second. <laughs> well, it's a good goal episode. to have. Yeah, yeah that's the aspiration. Um, and in the interim, though, for us, it's it's just continuing to kind of expand the size of organization we work with. You know, initially it was more so startup focused. And then we realized that we need to go a little bit larger. And so like a hundred to a thousand person companies where, where we've been focused for the past year or so. And, and then what we realized in, into this year is that it's even companies larger than that, that even so many of the smaller companies have like a cares team or a culture committee, some of that like DIY CSR kind of more ad hoc. So let's help them provide them the, the team and tools they need to make these programs measurable, marketable, more engaging. And then we thought that the bigger companies that maybe have one or two corporate social responsibility employees um, were already set and that there might not be a need there. But what we're realizing is, is quite the opposite, that, that even for some of those larger 
1,000, 5,000, 10,000 employee uh, businesses or enterprises, they still have a, a very real need to either support their social impact staff with the tools necessary to actually know if these programs are successful and be able to show the impact of them, uh, or many of them simply don't have any technology or tools in place to power things like matching donations. And so for us, uh, how can we continue to kind of almost land and expand and, and work with more companies and even larger companies that don't want to do the, the DIY CSR anymore and, and want to make it just more simple and easy for their employees to, to, to both make and be able to measure with those impact reports we mentioned the positive impact that, uh, that they want. Well, that's great. Now, part of the purpose of this show is to inspire people, and sometimes that comes from really unlikely places. So I'd like to ask you a final question. If you could point to one thing you're particularly proud of in your personal life, what would it be? In my personal life, I'm, I'm smiling a little bit because my, my answer is, is my relationship with my partner, Emily. Uh, and we live in New York, which means our one bedroom apartment is two rooms. So she's probably listening in and cringing as I'm sharing that answer. But um, <laughs> that would be... We've been together for six and a half years um, and I, it's not easy um, kind of being together with a, you know, a founder or someone who's trying to build and lead um, a startup as we are. And I would have never had the confidence to, to first do this and then persist through to where we've gotten to now if it wasn't with her support. Um, so that's probably the one thing I'm most proud of. Um that we're still together and building a life together. And, and in addition to that, an offshoot is the other team member we've got here, our one-year-old puppy, Penny, um, who is a pandemic dog like everyone else got. Um, <laughs> yeah, I already had one. So we, uh, we got a pandemic lizard. So Oh, there you go. So that's everyone has their, their pandemic animal maybe that they added, but we both, we both grew up with dogs and, um, and didn't, I wanted to get one for years. We thought we would not get one until way later. And then, um, we sort of serendipitously came across, um, Penny in New Mexico when we were there during the pandemic, cause Emily's family lives there and, uh, it reversed. Emily was now the one who said, we have to go get this dog. I, we just put our name on a wait list on a whim and we ended up being the first people that could adopt her. Um, so we've added Penny to the clan and, uh, and even started to use that in some of, some of the work stuff. Now, for any error pages or things like that, or even some of our communications to users, um, they are communicating with Penny, the pledge bot that we built out. So she's making her imprint on percent pledge as well. So before we wrap things up, I like to offer my guests the floor to bring either something up that you wish I'd asked you about, or if you just want to go ahead and sum up what you would have our audience take away with them as they go about their merry ways. Well, thank you. Uh, gosh, this is, I feel like I'm trying to rack my brain to make sure that I make the most use of this time. Uh, really, it would I don't think be anything surprising or new if you listener have gotten to this point in the conversation and, and have been tuned in throughout the rest, I think I would just want them to know 
that there is options out there for companies that that want to do good and also that are hearing from employees, hey, it would be great if we could connect with each other through volunteering, or it would be great if I could bring my favorite cause with me to the office. You know, employees spend most of their time um, working or in their job. And and what a lot of companies don't realize is, is a majority of people are philanthropically active in some way now. And so if, if you're a business owner or a member of an HR or people team out there, please understand that if you don't already know this, if you ask them, your employees will let you know that that they are eager and currently active when it comes to philanthropy and giving back. And the the big kind of change that that we've helped to usher in is when Percent Pledge started, there was, only, there was about five giving platforms that still exist, big players in the space that just cater to the Fortune 500. And they're very complex, expensive systems built for corporate social responsibility admins. And so we said, all right, well, that's when, when we interviewed hundreds of companies about this, that's overkill. That doesn't make sense for a company of 100 or 500 or even 1,000. Um, and so let's bring something to the market that's, as we said earlier, customizable, affordable for those companies, for businesses of any size. And um, that's a, often a piece that when we're talking through with customers and, and different companies is not realizing that that change has been made and that there is now um, a way for, even if you're just 10 or 20 or 30 employees um, to, to be able to engage employees in giving and, and tell your, your company-wide story of philanthropy um, in a way that's easy for employees and zero to manage for the ad bids because we don't want to be putting more work on our clients' plates. Um, so yeah, that would be the only thing. And, and if folks want to learn more, our our website, I think you've already provided it, but percentpledge.org or across any of the social uh, media platforms at percentpledge is our handle. And we would love to, to engage and learn from and speak with any and all of your amazing community of do-gooders that we're talking to here today. Well, thank you, Joel. I know I personally am putting together a list of my preferred charities to send your way in hopes that you can make sure they're on your vetted list of preferred charities. Um, I also just want to let you know I'll be including links for everything you've mentioned and with our show notes, including direct links to all of your social platforms. I wish you and everyone at Percent Pledge all the best as you continue down this path. It's an admirable road to pursue. I know it hasn't come overnight. And while you're only a few years in, you have so much further to go. So thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Thank you. I appreciate it, Karina. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. So thank you for having me. Thank you. Now, listeners, I'd like to invite you all to act. As I often say, it doesn't have to be huge. It could be as simple as sharing this podcast with people in your community that you think could benefit from hearing it. Or you could go to percentpledge.org and open your own personal account. To find suggestions like these and more, visit caremorebebetter.com. There you'll find an action page with causes and companies that we encourage you to support, including Percent Pledge. And I invite all of you to join the conversation and be a part of the community we're building on Clubhouse. You can follow us at Care More Be Better. Just leave out that final E in better. And you can even email me at hello at caremorebebetter.com. I want to hear from you. 
Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community because together we really can do so much more. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts and share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good. 